0: As Michael mentioned, this past week, terrorists killed... Last I heard, it was 129 people in Paris. There is evil in the world. Um, We know that. Um, We know that there are people in ISIS that are willing to die for their beliefs. Let me ask you before we start, are you willing to live for your beliefs? It might involve dying... But I think it's much more critical that we live for our beliefs. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll get started on our passage. Father, this needs to be your words, not mine. Um, This needs to be what your Holy Spirit caused John to write. Uh, Memories from from the days of Christ, uh, when he was actually there, and what he could remember. Just uh, help me not to get in the way of the message that you have for everybody today. Amen. Impending death is a very serious thing. I like westerns. Do you guys like westerns? How many people like westerns? You know, The hero, unless it's John Wayne, John Wayne lives forever. But a lot of times the hero, the sheriff of the town, will be shot at the end of the movie protecting his town and the posse will get there just after it's too late. And the sheriff will lie dying. And what does he say? He either says something like, Johnny shot me. Or, tell my wife I love her. Rarely, if ever, I don't think I've ever heard any dying hero say, gee, I wonder how many angels can dance on the head of a (laughs) pin. By the way, brain, why do we drive on a parkway and park in a driveway? When you're dying, you don't worry about trivial things. When you're about to die, you say what's uppermost in your mind. And the last couple chapters in John that we've been covering is what Jesus covered with his disciples knowing that he was going to his death. So this is not trivial stuff. This is stuff that was really important that Jesus told his disciples just before he went to the cross. So if it was important to Jesus, maybe it ought to be important to us too. So, today we're looking at the first part of John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. So, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, that does bear fruit, He prunes If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, and thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We start on the first verse where He says, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Uh, What is the function of the vine? The vine itself? doesn't bear any fruit but it provides all of the nourishment all of the food all of the, the the goodness that the branches need to produce good fruit so Jesus is saying that he's the power source he's the vine he's the one that gives the ability of, of the branches to bear fruit we're branches okay this is a, uh, a scenario a word picture that the people in Jesus's day would have understood. It was primarily agrarian society. There would have been a lot of farmers to hear. Um, They would have understood this picture of the vine and the branches. He goes on to say that his father is the vine dresser. What's a vine dresser? Well, it's somebody who cares for the vines. Okay? But he, he then warns us that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This seems pretty early in the discussion of the vines to have a warning. Um, So it must be fairly important. There's a couple things going on there. Um, At least one of the commentaries, the translators uh, believe that the word takes away is also could be the word um, lifts away. And so one of the commentaries says this is not a warning. This is something that says the vine dresser actually takes a branch that's not bearing any fruit and lifts it higher so that it gets more sunlight so that it can bear good fruit. Most of the commentaries don't say that. It says basically it's, it's a warning that says um, if you're not bearing good fruit, you'll be taken away. And that implies being cut off. We'll see more of this later on in, in uh, verse 6. Verse 6 says if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. So even if the first verse 2 is actually talking about lifting away and getting more sunlight later on when he talks about the vine it's a very clear warning that we need to be bearing fruit or we will be cut off Allowed to wither and thrown into the flame. So. Who's he talking about? Or who's he talking to? Let's think about who he's talking to here. Um, Some. Previous pastors. Some other pastors. Have said that he's talking to the church. And he's talking about church members. Who are not producing good fruit. And that therefore as a church. We should throw these people out and allow them to be burned and thrown away. That seems a little harsh. And it's not the way that I read scripture. As I read scripture, we are to take the people in our church and if they're not producing fruit, we are to love on them, to disciple them, if necessary to discipline them, but we are to help them to bear more fruit. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where we're called to throw people out of church because they're not producing fruit so he wasn't talking to the church well he was talking who was there? the eleven disciples remember Judas had already left so he has eleven of his closest friends there and the first thing he says is if you're not bearing fruit we're going to take you away why would he say that? well here's a possibility um Judas had left, but what had Judas left to do? He had left to betray Jesus. So he could have been speaking to the disciples so that they would remember after his death and resurrection that Judas was going to be taken away. Burned, allowed to dry up, however you want to put that, however you want to look at that. But to do that, I just don't see that as happening. I, I don't see that as a reminder for Judas. I see that he's talking directly to the disciples. What is he telling them? You have to bear good fruit. Okay. What does that mean? Well, in some churches, they think that good fruit is, I had 12 baptisms last year. Oh, wait, wait, we've got, we've gone from 20 people attending to 40. Therefore, we're bearing good fruit. Um, we've heard that word fruit before in the Bible. Where have we heard it? Fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I think this is the fruit that, that Christ is telling His disciples. He's not saying you got to go out and baptize people he's not saying you got to go out and build churches that have membership in the hundreds or hundreds of thousands even he's saying I want you to go out and produce good fruit love joy peace gentleness if you do not produce good fruit you will be cut off look at your life are you producing the kind of fruit that Christ expects if not this is a warning to us as well that we need to start producing good fruit That's for branches that don't bear good fruit. What about branches that bear good fruit? Well, now we get to uh, every branch that does bear good fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. We have a grapevine in our garden. And uh, yes, we do. Remember the, the terrible fruit we got this year? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, it was, it's, I remember the grapevine in our old house. There you go. Uh, We do have a grapevine now. The books say that it takes a grapevine several years to to produce good fruit. The first few years, they're small, they're bitter. Well, it's now been several years. Our fruit in the past has been mediocre. This year we should have had good fruit, but this year I did not prune the grapes. And it was interesting because I've read this verse and it says you prune the grapes so that they'll produce good fruit. Well, that grape plant went wild it's got 20 or 30 branches on it and those branches grew to be 10, 15 feet long most of them along the fence that the vine's on but a lot of them just kind of sticking out at random and every one of those branches had fruit on it there were tons of fruit on that vine which when I came to this passage and I thought well he says they were going to bear good fruit if he prunes us but I didn't prune it look at all these grapes (laughs) So I said, well, what's, did God make a mistake and this is just a bad example? Well, those grapes were smaller than the other grapes. And when we tried them, they were so bitter, they were inedible. It ends up that when a grapevine grows, it, it, it produces a certain amount of sugar. And it puts the sugar into the grapes, which is what makes grapes good fruit. Well, if you don't prune it, it's got to spread that sugar among All the extra fruit. And the grapes just never got sweet. So apparently you do have to prune grapes. Next year I will prune my grapes and maybe we'll have decent fruit. (laughs) Um, But what does that say to me? Well first it says God didn't make a mistake. This is a really good example. And second it says a couple things. What is pruning? Um, One possibility, one way that God prunes is I had a pastor in Maryland named Mark Pett. Mark Pett preached his last sermon sitting down because he had cancer and he didn't have the strength to stand up and I remember one of the things he said there he said Bill um, we talked to him afterwards so he actually said Bill which was kind of neat but he said Bill this cancer, the pain has brought me so close to God I never believed I would be this close to God was God pruning him? Yeah, now he also added... Now, Bill, I would not recommend this method even to my worst enemies for drawing close to God. (laughs) Sometimes God prunes us in ways that are very, very painful. For Mark, it was cancer. I know a young lady who went to church at Terrace Heights and was molested as a child. When I knew her, she was going to use that to motivate her to become a counselor to work with other young ladies and how the love of God had affected her and brought her out of that so that she could work with other young ladies. I understand she was not able to do that for whatever reason and she's now no longer walking with God. But was God preparing her for something? I think so. She chose, I guess, not to to follow God's calling. That's another way that God prunes. And was that painful? Sure, it was painful. So how does that apply to the, the, the extra grapes that are on my vine? Well, I look at my life and probably a lot of you in here sometimes we get so busy serving the church serving our neighbors doing whatever that we just produce tons of what looks like good fruit. Is it good to serve the church? Sure. Is it good to serve your neighbors? Yeah, it is. There's lots of good stuff we could be doing. Sometimes we do so much of that good stuff that we lose our focus on what it is God has called us to do. And sometimes God has to take some of that stuff out of our life. Maybe it's canceling whatever you were going to do on Tuesday nights. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, a group that you used to hang with that eventually grows older and you just stop meeting and it kind of fades away. Whatever form it takes, maybe God's going to get ready to prune you and say you need to focus on what I've called you to do. It is a, um, it's, just a, it's just a fact that God is going to prune you somehow. Um, and we need to be ready for that. Verse 3, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That seems kind of weird. Here he's talking about the vine. He's going to go on later on and talk about the vine. And now he goes to this verse that says, Already you're clean. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you go and look at the image of the vine in the Old Testament, the image of the vine was used very often in the Old Testament talking about Israel. However, it was not during those times when Israel was walking with the Lord. It was a form of judgment. And normally in the Old Testament, when you mention the vine, you're talking about judgment, condemnation, Israel not walking with God. So being associated with the vine is probably not a good thing. Jesus, remember, he's talking to the Jews. Eleven Jews in the room with him, right? His disciples. And they hear him say, I am the true vine. What's the first thing that comes into their mind? Well, isn't that when Israel's... That can't be good. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he says, already you are clean. I think this is to remind the disciples that he is not the vine of judgment that was so often associated with Israel. He is the completion of the promises that were made to Israel. So he needs to take that vine image and put it in the right framework. Not as a judgment, but as a completion of the promises. Many, many times you read in the New Testament, you know, um, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. In the same way here he's saying, I am the true vine, I have fulfilled what Israel could not. It is no longer a picture of judgment. It is now a picture of abiding. So now he goes back to the vine. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. abiding some of the translations actually use the word remain in me and i think for the vine analogy remain is probably a, a more powerful word to use with vines because what he's saying is is the vine provides your your power your nutrition your food it allows you to do to produce good fruit so remain in me to me, gives a more more picturesque uh, image of the branch being attached to the vine. So when it says remain in me, that makes more sense to me. But abide, abide also makes sense. It means the same thing, right? Remain in me, abide in me. It has a slightly different connotation to me and that is of living. When you say abide with me, what does that mean in today's language it mean live with me spend time with me um I picture this as um somebody moving into your house abide with me Christ is saying abide with me (laughs) Bob the ghost um I just lost it let me get it back um Abide with me. The cool thing about it is, what does Christ say right after he says, abide in me? He says, and I in you. If I were to tell you, hey, come abide with me, what would that mean? Well, that would mean you would have to move to me. You'd have to come to my house and live with me or something. By saying, abide in me, and I in you, It's not just an action we take. Christ goes and meets us, invites us to live with him, and also promises to live with us. Now let's think about this. This is the creator God. This is the God who made us from our DNA up. He knows how many hairs are on our head. And he's promised to come and abide with us. A lot of religions have gods. And many of those gods, in fact most of those gods, live way off Over yonder. Our God doesn't live over yonder. He invites us to abide with Him. To remain with Him. And I think that that's incredibly awesome. What else does He say about the vine? Uh, He mentions that if you... We can do nothing without Him. And in my notes I have... A statement that says, "And this is the branch that I cut off from my vine this morning," which I obviously didn't do. So, from a scripture point, uh, uh, an example point of view, I guess I was a failure for that. But picture, just use your imagination, a vine, a branch cut off from the vine. Will that branch ever produce fruit again? It can't. It doesn't have the the nutrition. It doesn't have the, the sustenance, the power, to produce fruit. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. On our own, we can do nothing to produce fruit. We can do a lot to produce stuff that looks like good fruit. We all know people who are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Who look like they're doing good fruit. Right? We know people who are gentle and kind. Forgiving. I propose that those people are like my grapevines that were unpruned. They may be producing a lot of fruit. It's not good fruit. It's good in the eyes of the world. But it does not accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. It is only through us producing good fruit that God's will can be done. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You remember Michael spoke on this a couple chapters ago. I think it was back in chapter 13. This, does this mean that we can ask for anything in God's name and we'll get it? Let me read the verse again. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A lot of preachers preach, name it and claim it. In the name of Jesus, I want $100. I want steak for dinner. Is that what this verse says? No. This doesn't say name it, claim it. This doesn't say God is a vending machine. It says, it it puts a condition on it. What's the condition? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what does abide mean? We're back to abiding in Christ, Christ abiding in us. Living together in a relationship. If we abide in him, many of you have good parents. Some of you may not. So use, if you don't have good parents, use your imagination. Okay? When you're small, how do you show that you love your parents? You don't have any money. You probably can't like jack up the car to change the tire or anything. But when you're small, how do you show your love for your parents? You show that in obedience. You make your bed because your parents ask you to. You clean your room. Because your parents ask you to. You show Mrs. is laughing. <laughs> That's because I was a semi-obedient child, but I had problems. Yes. I was lazy. So, not only, none of us are perfect. We know that, and it's okay. I know you love me, um, but God says if you ask, it will be given to you. Now, when you were a child and you loved your parents, did you ask them for a hundred dollars? Did you ask them for steak for dinner? Well, sometimes they're dead, you know. And sometimes they let me have some. And God will do the same thing. Don't be afraid to ask him for steak. He may allow you to have steak. He may not. All prayers are answered, just some of them are said no. If I walk with God, then I will only ask him for things that are in his will. That's a recap of what Michael said several weeks ago. Um... And so my questions to God will not be for a new car, or for steak, or for a hundred dollars. They will be, Lord, Father, let Your will be done. Father, I really love this person. Can You work out a way that that person is introduced to You? Those kind of questions are the questions that you'll end up asking if you're abiding in Christ. All right, he then says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Lisa might remember, she might not. When she was homeschooled, mom went through a, a lesson on the catechism, the Westminster Catechism. First question of the catechism is the only question I remember. What is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is Glorify God and serve him forever. That was from Granite. That was from Granite? Okay. Yes, sir. Either way, you must have taken it home because I remember that question. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to love him forever. Here we have a verse that says, um, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We don't use the word glory a lot these days. We don't really know what it means for the Father to be glorified. Here we have at least one aspect of how the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified when we bear good fruit. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness. Not how many baptisms we do. That's good to know. Not how many members are attending. It's good to know too. Not how much money we give to various missions nothing wrong with that but that is not what glorifies God what glorifies God is when we bear good fruit again so he goes back and says as the father has loved me I have loved you abide in my love we're back to abiding I picture this as the grapes and the branches together how is, is how does the vine sustain the branches through sap so you've heard that, that love is kind of sappy well here I think it's very accurate love is kind of the same as sap in this picture it is what transfers God's power between Christ and us his love and we're supposed to abide in him too so we should be taking our love for him Kind of passing that back to the vine. It's not a one-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. So, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in His love. at first reading the, the if then is if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love I'm not sure that's an accurate translation at least a lot of the commentaries didn't, it seemed to think it kind of went the other way because abiding in Christ's love does not depend on our behavior right how many of you have lived a perfect life certainly my hand's not going up for that how many of you have disobeyed the commands of God? All of us. So if abiding in Christ's love depended on us being completely obedient to His commandments, we wouldn't have a lot of God's love, would we? Fortunately, we have God's love. And in effect, it's almost like that statement is reversed. Because we abide in God's love, we will obey His commandments. Remember my example earlier of your parents' When they told you to ask you to make your bed. Some of the times they told you to make the bed. You obey your parents out of love. We obey God out of love. We don't earn God's love by being good. He offers us his love and promises to abide in us while we abide in him. He says that multiple times in the passage. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in Christ. And he tells us to abide in him. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now we get to the enjoyment part. Um, the result of abiding in Christ of living hand in hand with with our creator God the result of that is joy picture Adam and Eve walking in the garden of Eden before they sinned walking with God that's the kind of joy I want in my life that's the kind of joy that God promises us if we abide in him and he in us Be prepared for Christ to prune you. Understand that that may be painful. But in the end, it produces good fruit. Look at your life. See if today you are producing good fruit. And if you are not, ask God to prune you. We need the joy of God to run through our veins like the sap of his love, like sappy love. We need to be so intertwined with God and with Christ that it's hard for people who are outside of our group of of closest friends to even see the difference between us and Christ. We need to be an example of Christ, an example of his love, an example of his fruit, And that will cause us to walk in ever-increasing joy. What is man's primary purpose? To glorify God by bearing good fruit and to enjoy Him forever. To have the joy that comes from walking and abiding in Christ. In conclusion, what is it? that Christ felt was so important that he had to tell his disciples before he died. The idea of abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, so that we can use his power to produce good fruit. The end result should be a joyous walk with the Lord. Now we want to go forth from here remembering that we are to abide in Christ. We are to live in Him. We are to be intertwined with Him. And from that, enjoy the joy that He gives us as we do that. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm not really looking forward to pruning because I think that's going to be painful. But I know it's necessary for me to bear good fruit. So I would ask you to prune me as you see fit. That you would uh, not toss me off as a branch that's worthless, but uh, cultivate me so that I grow better and better fruit for you. I thank you that you love me so much and that you're so willing to give me joy. And just ask that you'll uh, um, help me to, to feel that joy every day of my life. To walk with you, to abide with you and to become so involved in walking with you that when other people look at me, they see you, Lord. Go with us now. Help us to enjoy your creation and your relationship with us. Amen.